Welcome, 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 welcome into a Monday edition of Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney with you. Thanks for being with us. Coming up today on the show, the Colts stumble on the road at Jacksonville. What we learned about this Indianapolis team. Plus, Notre Dame blows the doors off of USC. A huge bounce back win. What does this mean for Notre Dame the rest of the season? Plus, Purdue, IU dismantled by two of the top three teams in the Big Ten. Things have gone from bad to worse, seemingly, at both schools. We'll get into that. Uh, Anthony Richardson could be out for the season. Take a look at what that means long-term. And also, Marcus Freeman with the Notre Dame win quiets critics. He's done something already in just a season and a half to match Brian Kelly, the all-time winningest coach in, in Notre Dame football history. Uh, so we will give you the details on that in hour number two. Also in hour number two, the SAC can't figure out a champion. A mess Friday night based on the results. We'll, we'll explain what happened there. Why there are only two teams sharing a title instead of three. And before we leave you, uh, a a theft at a Chick-fil-A, but not something you would expect people to steal. Not stealing lemonade or sweet tea or, you know, chicken sandwiches. No, something a little different. Uh, we'll get to that around 8.50 or so. Was it a bear? No. Okay. No, no bears involved in this one. No bears. So, All right. That, that brings uh, a brief end to our <laughs> to bear our streak. streak. <laughs> We're at two. We'll have to start a new one tomorrow, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, so... A lot to dive into today on the show. Also, we're doing another giveaway. Uh, we have some IU Rutgers tickets homecoming. So if you want, if you want to go down to um, why can't uh, Hoosier Hysteria? I was like, why, why can't I think of the name Hoosier Hysteria? Is Friday night, obviously IU oh. Rutgers on football. Uh, it's homecoming weekend down in Bloomington. So we have a four pack of tickets. Uh, just text Hoosier Hysteria to four six eight six two. And you'll be in the running. We'll pick a winner at the end of the show. Again, text Hoosier Hysteria to 46862. And we will pick a winner. Four pack of IU Rutgers football t- tickets uh, for Saturday. Of course, Hoosier Hysteria is free to attend, right? So um, you'll be able to go to that if you want to do double up and do both events. Uh, a lot to get to on headlines. Don't forget, though, you can always reach us on the text line at 46862. Uh, just type in CK first in your questions, comments, concerns. Also, you can stream us 1380thefan.com on the free 1380thefan app or your smart speaker and reach us on Twitter. Caleb Kinney 1380 is the show handle. My handle is Caleb Hatch. Justin's is J. Kinney OPS. Well, you can't really stream us today. Oh, yeah, that's true. I didn't think about that. Yeah, we're still de- dealing with like an internet outage. <laughs> it was like so- a... A freak accident Friday morning. I I don't know if it was a freak accident. So dude with a combine basically takes out a pole. Correct. Very close to the studio. And across the highway on like the the other side of the west side of 27. And the internet has yet to be restored here. Same with phones. And phones. So they I know they put up a new utility pole. They did. I don't know if it did it knock out power too. Was it just the phone? Uh, and- so power was knocked out briefly. We have a generator here, so like everything, all the lights came off, and then, and then they, they came back, back on, on when the generator kicked on. But the generator wasn't running for super long. 
So okay. I don't know if it if the power came back on pretty quickly or what. But I, I mean, it like on the radio because I was in here in the studio. I think I was just uploading some shows or something, and uh, all of a sudden it goes dark, and then I'm like, oh, I I lost the the feed, and then it was back up within five seconds. So yeah, so brief blip. If you're listening to us today, you have to listen to us over the air. That's radio true. Good, good catch. Today. See, uh, here I am just going through the the regular. The regular spiel. Yeah, and <laughs> I forgot. Yeah, you can't stream us today. Can't. Only on your radio. You can so, try, apolo- but it's not going to work. <laughs> Hopefully tomorrow this thing's yes. fixed. Yes, that It already is, went on way too long. Agreed. That is that is the hope. So we dive into headlines. You can still text us, though. Text line, I, we have access. Now, you have to go back to Saturday and see if anybody texted in after Purdue got smashed. Because we told people... Because Caleb was talking about the opportunity for <laughs> Purdue to beat Ohio State, and that did not happen. And we encourage people to text in even Saturday to Caleb in the event that Purdue lost and lost big. At least I Indiana was up seven nothing. Yeah, at the they end never of a scored quarter. again. But uh, Purdue was thoroughly, thoroughly dominated by Ohio State. Anybody call you out? Um, you know, I'm I'm going back and looking. I haven't seen anything yet. Come on, people. No, I you don't. Tell me you got better things to do on Saturday than text the show when nobody's here. Yeah, no, there's there's nothing. People complaining about the stream being down. It's like, yeah, we we know it's beyond our control yeah. <laughs> at this point. Um, no, no one called me out. I will say this though: as wrong as I was about my Purdue prediction, you were right about. I was Notre right Dame. about Notre Dame. So yes, I'll were. brag about that a bit later on. Uh, headlines this morning in the NFL yesterday, you have no more undefeateds. The Jets hold off the Eagles. And how about Zach Wilson? As shaky of a start that he had, he has been definitely not spectacular, but he has been, what, serviceable? Would good probably enough. be a, a good enough to get the job done. And, and the Jets have seemingly found something of late as they upset the previously undefeated uh, Philadelphia Eagles. So Jets now 3-3. Three and three. Things trending in a positive direction. Uh, meanwhile, the San Francisco 49ers, they fall for the first time this season, losing to the Browns. P.J. Walker in a quarterback, and Cleveland holds on as Jake Mooney misses a field goal uh, right at the end of the game. The Browns beat San Fran 19-17. to We'll get more on the Browns' defense. Uh either later on today or, or tomorrow on the show, but they have been historically good. It's like been, a like, long time coming good uh, as far as what they've done defensively. So, and who do the Colts play on Sunday? The Browns. So <laughs> go, go think about that. Meanwhile, on Sunday night football, you have the bills rallying to beat the giants. Giants really just missed opportunities, especially the last play of the game. Yeah. Effectively. La- last play of the game into the half. I, I mean, there are so many missed opportunities uh, Bears fall. No surprise. Justin Fields had a what a, a broken finger. No, not a broken finger. Dislocated, dislocated thumb is what the official diagnosis is, and basically it was dislocated. He popped it back in, but couldn't grip the football, so he leaves the game. The Bears were already down nineteen to six, I think, at that time anyway, and the Bears fall at home, nineteen to thirteen. In, in a game that was like watching a Big Ten football, it was a brutal football game to watch. As two two not good teams 
playing in Chicago yesterday. But imagine this. So I'm, I just texted you about this yesterday. Somebody out there had put a parlay together. I'm sure of this. Somebody had a parlay to where they had the Browns beating the 49ers. Yeah. They had the Jets beating the Eagles. Mm-hmm. And probably the Giants beating the Bills. And they were sweating through that Sunday night game trying to get what would be a very profitable parlay win. But somebody out there had that parlay and came very close to winning. But the Bills shut the door on the Giants in the final seconds. This is a game, I mean, it felt like the Giants were in control despite... Well, they couldn't score touchdowns. Yeah. I mean, this is a team that hasn't been able to score a touchdown in the first half all season long. I mean, we're like over a third of the way through the season at this point, and they still haven't scored a first half touchdown. Had opportunities to build a lead in the first half, but we're only up 6-0 at the end of the half. And they were up 6-0 at the end of the third quarter before Buffalo came alive in the fourth. Yeah, you, you can't win with field goals in this league. Not he, against he, teams he, as good as you got to win with touchdowns. Meanwhile, in baseball, ALCS game one, the Rangers beat the Astros 2 to nothing at Houston. Uh, Justin Verlander takes the loss as he gives up the only two runs of the game, went six and two-thirds innings. Struck out five, but did give up a home run. And so uh, a a big win for Texas, who just continues to make it happen. I I don't know what else to say. Uh, It was a home run by Leody Tavares um, in the win, and that was basically the the only offense we had in this one. Evan Carter with a uh, double and a run score in the second inning. A guy who just turned 21 years old on August 29th. Had a couple good defensive plays in left field as well, and it was a duel between Jordan Montgomery and Justin Verlander, and Montgomery got the best of the veteran Verlander. So a key game one road win for the Rangers in the ALCS. NLCS begins tonight. And and this is something, too, that uh, that my father brought up over the weekend. When you look at all of the off days in the playoffs for Major League Baseball, if they would play day after day after day like they do in the regular season yeah they could do seven game series throughout the playoffs it was shocking how long of a delay there was between this like between the start of the series like it just i don't know if it's like built in because they they factor in long series the, mm-hmm. the before i i don't know but gosh it, it, you don't need alternating days like that i know it's built for television you want one one game each day in prime time i understand that but like especially in the early rounds like you don't need these days off they're not getting days off during the regular season. Some teams are playing 10, 11, 13, 14 straight days sometimes. Just like these teams can play. They don't need breaks. And if you would play on these off days, you could actually have longer series. Like the wild card series should be five games. Everything else should be seven games. You could do it if you weren't taking all these days off. I agree. Now, the problem that Major League Baseball has with scheduling is, again, everyone saw... End of the regular season on a Sunday, then you go wild card on Tuesday. That's short notice for some of the teams. But for teams like the Rays, who couldn't draw anybody, they knew they were making the playoffs. That was long decided. So, like, yeah, you could say, I guess you can't really do anything about a situation like that. Just if fans aren't showing up, they're not showing up. Yeah. But it is tough to promote on two days' notice. I will say that. I get that. I understand. But 
uh, I, I don't know. I think that for the playoffs, I would make them longer and take some of these early or these off days out. If, if you're advancing in the playoffs, two days is more than enough for a rabid fan base to pick up playoff tickets. Meanwhile, the Rangers also officially added Max Scherzer to the roster for the ALCS. Mm. So look for him to, to pitch later on in this series. So that's a look at what's happening in baseball. Meanwhile, in basketball, several intriguing notes. First off, Mike Woodson gets his first recruit for the class of 2024. Liam McNeely, a five-star forward, shows the Hoosiers over Kansas. It's the second straight recruiting win uh, for the Hoosiers over Kansas is McKenzie and Baco also chose IU over the Jayhawks. So five-star forward. This is step one and about three potential players that could be added by Indiana. McNeely, a six-foot-seven forward, uh, announced yesterday afternoon. Um, he's a Texas native but played at Montverde Academy. Those are the key words for IU in recruiting anymore. Uh, IU still in pursuit of guard Boogie Fland and big man Derek Queen. Um, so in fact, McNeely said he was going to be openly recruiting these guys, but McNeely number 13 player, uh, in the class and IU still going after two other five-star players, uh, from, from the recruiting ranks. So big pickup finally got the, the first recruit for the class. So I think that's a relief, but there's some, some accolades with him that I think really stand out. He's among the top five all-time highest-rated uh, IU recruits in the rankings era, which goes back to what is it 2000 or 2001, something like that. I think it's like early that. 2000s. Yeah, 01, 02. So that's that's saying something when you you look at some of the players. And I get it. IU's not been the program. You know, like if you were to have recruiting rankings in the 70s, 80s, 90s, obviously this wouldn't probably come that close and be as notable. But when you when you have a guy who is up up there, five of IU's top 11 highest rated recruits since 2004 have come under Mike Woodson. Hmm. McNeely, McKenzie Mbaco, Jalen Hood, Shafino, Malik Renew, and Tamar Bates. If you're looking at, you look at McNeely, basically this dude is a wing who can shoot. Yes. And he can shoot from anywhere on the floor. He can come off screens and pull up. He can penetrate and, and pull up for mid range. He can get to the bucket. He's really good. Um, Really, kind of a, a give and go, like a cut type player, cut to the basket, finish. He's a dude, but he's the biggest thing for me is you hear sharpshooter and you go, oh, so a guy that I could actually make outside shots, right? That's what you're looking at with. And, and I saw some highlights, and I was like, okay, he can shoot. I mean, there was there was a highlight from his play yesterday where he hit a really deep three. So that's what IU's been lacking, it seems, for years, and that would obviously be huge for the program to finally have outside shooting. Again, so something to, to keep an eye on. But obviously, a, a start, I think this is the guy everyone felt like was, I don't want to say a lock, but you figured he was going to go to IU. It's just a matter of, can they get the other two guys? And if so, then you feel like you have an opportunity to do something special down the road. But for Mike Woodson, I mean, recruiting's not been the issue, right? No. It's, it's now you He's need to see basketball progress in March, and that's the next step. He's he's checked the boxes of getting back to the tournament. He's checked the box of recruiting at a much higher level compared to before. Now you got to win games in March when it matters. Meanwhile, in women's basketball yesterday, I, uh, Iowa hosted an exhibition game against DePaul. 
and they had it at Kinnick Stadium. Really, really cool deal that they did. Uh, 55,646 uh, or wow, 55,646 uh, fans for Iowa DePaul, most attended women's basketball game in world history. So that's pretty cool. And Caitlin Clark uh, showed off 34 points, 11 rebounds, 10 assists. So triple double in this game. So you have Nebraska doing the women's volleyball mm-hmm. thing, and now you have Iowa doing the women's basketball thing wins uh like wisconsin or minnesota or michigan i think michigan's already done this play a hockey game at the like at the big house at the big house yeah it seems like an obvious thing you could keep doing uh with these teams so also in other recruiting news this is in the makes you feel old department 2024 top 40 recruit jace richardson tells me he's committed to michigan state Hmm. Do you remember Jason Richardson? Uh-huh. Yeah, that's his son. Wow. <laughs> so he is a four-star point feel... guard. Ne- never makes you feel good when you, you have the <laughs> no. player's sons <laughs> committing. It's like when teachers are like, you start having the kids mm-hmm. of the, the kids you had in your first couple years of teaching. That's, that's the worst. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, the tin caps continue on with their field renovations. Mike Nutter posting an update of... What is happening at Parkview Field? Again, new playing surface, new front entry steps. As they've uh, demolished those, they'll replace that. A new roof system on treetops, uh, fresh paint. So something to look forward to when baseball season opens back up in April of next year. And the Comets won both their exhibition games. uh, Combined preseason attendance, 10,257. Obviously, great crowds for the Comets with the preseason games. The real season starts Friday night at Indy, the home opener Saturday night against the Fuel at the Coliseum. And some uh, difficult decisions now to be made early yes. this week with some cuts for the case. 46862, your text line number again, 46862. Uh, if you have thoughts on the Colts, let us know. Also, you can text Hoosier Hysteria to 46862, me in the running for a four pack of tickets. See IU. In Rutgers, homecoming weekend down in Bloomington, uh, plus Hoosier Hysteria, I believe it's on Friday night, so plenty for you to, to check out this weekend down in Bloomington. Again, just text Hoosier Hysteria to 46862, and you can win those IE Rutgers football tickets, a four-pack for Saturday's game at Memorial Stadium. So the Colts go on the road, and the road woes continue against Jacksonville. It's now the ninth straight loss. The Colts have been the visiting team, eighth straight in Jacksonville as Indy falls 37 to 20. And I think the biggest thing to take away from this game, we talked all season before about how Gardner Minshew limited mistakes. Well, he did not do that on Sunday, Uh early fumble that led to a, a Jacksonville touchdown spotted them a 14, three lead. They're up 21, six at the half Minshew threw three picks. He was sacked three times. So it's not a good outing. And I think we finally saw after his first three-pick game in his career, why he was indeed the backup to start the season, and Richardson was the starter. Well, Gardner Minshew is a backup in the NFL for a reason. Yes. And and he's a very good backup to come in and play well in short stints. But he's not a dude that you're going to be able to turn over a team long-term and say this is a playoff team. And, and you and I pushed for Gardner Minshew to start from the jump at the beginning of the season because we gave... We thought he gave the Colts a 
the best chance to win comparatively to a inexperienced Anthony Richardson. But yes. we weren't saying that Gardner Minshew was going to lead this team to a playoff appearance or playoff contention or anything. And you saw that yesterday. Four turnovers. All three tur- all three interceptions were bad throws. Very bad. Like, like through right to Jacksonville players. This wasn't a tipped balls or anything like that. Like they were bad reads by Gardner Minshew. And so you saw the bad of Gardner Minshew and why he's not a starter in the NFL yesterday. And then coupled with the news from Ian Rappaport that Anthony Richardson could be out for the season. And you're staring at a very long remainder of the schedule. If Gardner Minshew is your dude, because at the very least, if you have Anthony Richardson out there and you're losing games, you're saying, okay, we're watching the development of a potential franchise quarterback, right? But with Anthony Richardson out, if that is indeed the road that he goes down, then what are you watching for the next 10, 11 games in Indianapolis? The good news for the Colts, I mean, this feels like one of the toughest games they had remaining on the schedule. I mean, you look at who they have left. Yeah, they have Cleveland at home. Yes, Cleveland defense is great, but offensively, we know they they have their issues. Uh, the Saints at home, at Carolina, at New England and Germany. At home against the Bucks, at Tennessee, at Cincinnati. That's one of the other tough, really tough games. Pittsburgh at home, at Atlanta, uh, Vegas at home, and Houston at home. I mean, it's not exactly a gauntlet. Now, I'm not saying they're going to go out there and and finish the season, and we're looking at you know a a ten plus one team. That's certainly not the case. But this was one of the tougher games they have remaining. That's the positive aspect in all of this is that. There are still plenty of winnable games left. The negative aspect is teams have more tape now on Gardner Minshew in this Colts system now that he's going to continue to be the starter, obviously barring injury, perhaps for the rest of the season. And when he's played the full game, it's been a very mixed mixed bag. When he's coming on relief, it's been positive. But you look at the Baltimore game and, and what he did in that 27 of 44, 227. A touchdown, no picks, but sacked five times, and we saw what happened yesterday. It, it's been it's been clear the limitations are there. As you mentioned, best backup quarterback in the NFL, but he's a reliever. He's not a starter, if you will. And and that's been obvious to see, especially yesterday. He's a dude that you don't want running your offense long-term. Great guy to come in in a spot start, relieve a, a, a quarterback that gets hurt, but long-term, no. And and the the defense wasn't good yesterday either. Yes, Gardner Minshew put them in some bad positions, but it was an offense for Jacksonville that really had its way with the Colts. And you looked at Travis Etienne with a couple rushing touchdowns. Trevor Lawrence, I know he left the game late, but uh, wasn't seriously injured. Uh, he pretty much had uh, his way with the defense of the Colts. And that, again, that young secondary when they're trying to match up with Christian Kirk and Calvin Ridley, and they did a better job on Calvin Ridley this time than the first mm-hmm. time around, but it's still a weakness, the back end of that defense. And when you're playing good teams, good passing teams, good quarterbacks, they're going to make that young defense pay. And I think last yesterday you saw that again. So when you look at, Gardner Minshew and that defense, that secondary in particular, it just it wasn't a good day for either. Yeah, Juju Brins did have a pick, but he also had a lot of penalties, and it was a tough day for him defensively. I mean, when you're starting a rookie corner, this is what you're going to get, right? Um, 
good player. I don't think anyone expected him to go in and be a, a Sauce Gardner and be a lockdown corner, which Sauce Gardner has been every bit of that. But you're going to get a mixed bag. Also, when you're throwing 55 pass attempts in a game, you're simply not going to win. That's it's just not. Yeah. It's not a way to victory, especially with a Gardner Minshew as quarterback. You don't want Gardner Minshew throwing 55 times. No. You're, you're, you don't want him throwing more than 30, to be honest, yeah, because that means the running game's working and you're you're doing some good things. And once again, pretty even balance with Zach Moss and, and Jonathan Taylor in terms of carries. Neither of them did very much. Part of that was dictated by the game with Jacksonville getting ahead by 14 early and the Colts having to go to the air pretty much immediately. But you look at Zach Moss, seven carries, 21 yards, and a touchdown. Jonathan Taylor, eight carries, 19 yards. And total for the game, Indianapolis averaging just over two and a half yards per carry on the ground. It it wasn't a balanced offense by any means. The, the, The game dictated them having to go to uh, the air pretty pretty early. But man, this is a, a running offense that when the Colts have been good, have been able to move the ball on the ground. And that almost to a certain extent has set up the pass for them. But when you couldn't run yesterday, even when you tried to run, it made you very one-dimensional and that isn't good for a quarterback like Gardner Minshew. He needs that complement of a running game, and the Colts didn't have it yesterday. Yeah, the the running backs were more effective in the passing game than were in the. I mean, you run for forty four yards, you're simply not going to win. Especially the makeup of this Colts team. Um, yes, they were de- they were dealing without Braden Smith on the offensive line, and Blake Freeland was okay. But it's just the reality is, you can't run the ball if you're the Colts. You can't win, and that's how their team is set up. And I I, I think. There were going to be other wrinkles, obviously, with Anthony Richardson, but the Colts don't have that luxury anymore, so it's pretty straightforward in defending them. And and that makes it easier for teams to game plan. In terms of positives for the Colts, I mean, Michael Pittman Jr. had a good day. Maybe not. And I think this is, we saw what Michael Pittman Jr. can be or maybe is in the NFL and what he isn't yesterday in the NFL. He's a possession receiver. Okay, nine catches. Just over 100 yards, average 12 yards per catch. He's not going to be that dude that takes the top off a of defense. He's not the dude getting downfield and making electrifying plays uh, downfield. He's just a dude that's going to make a lot of solid catches for you. He's, an, he's, he's a possession guy. He's not a number one in terms of the dynamic ability that you look in a true number one receiver in the NFL. So while Michael Pittman Jr., Stat-wise, had a good game yesterday. It also showed the restrictions you have with him. Is this is he's not he's not a dynamic true number one in the NFL. And, and I don't think he's ever going to have that game-breaking ability. The, the problem is Alec Pierce has not really turned out so far to be that vertical threat that the Colts desperately need. And I mean, Josh Downs scored a touchdown, but we got five catches for barely twenty some yards. Uh, it, w- it wasn't a good average. So all around, the Colts struggled yesterday. Turnovers led to short fields, and the defense couldn't get stops and couldn't hold the Jacksonville Jaguars to field goals instead of touchdowns. And eventually, this game just got away from them. 
the, the biggest thing I think I took away from yesterday with Gardner Minshew is there is zero vertical threat. Like, there's no threat down the field in the passing game with him at quarterback. And that limitation was glaring throughout the day because you can't come back on teams if you can't throw the ball down the field. And the Colts just simply couldn't do that for most of the day. Well, how much of that is on Gardner Minshew and how much of that is on the inability of the wide receivers to get open downfield? Mm-hmm. I think it's a little bit of both. Yeah. I, I think, once again, you look at a, a wide receiver core that just lacks that dynamic playmaker. Josh Downs has shown signs, but not consistency whatsoever to be that. And Alec Pierce has struggled. I, went out with an injury yesterday. Uh, not believed to be serious. I think he came back. But overall, just uh, a tough tough road trip for Indianapolis. And as we'll talk about later, this could be the MO of this team going forward. It could be Gardner Minshew for the duration. So prep yourselves, Colts fans. He's going to look good in some games. He definitely is. But against teams with aggressive, good defenses and teams that are going to put up points like Jacksonville can, he's really going to show his restrictions and why he's not a starter in this league. 46862, your text line number, 46862. Coming up on the other side, Notre Dame blows out USC. What what did I tell you about this game? Yes, you said. So, what we learned about you. USC and why I can't wait for the Trojans to be in the Big Ten in 2024. That's next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney, 46862, the text line number. Again, 46862. You can text Hoosier Hysteria to 46862 and be in the running for a four-pack of tickets to see IU and Rutgers at Memorial Stadium on Saturday afternoon, homecoming weekend down in Bloomington. So Hoosier Hysteria is what, Friday night? So just text Hoosier Hysteria to 46862. That's a free event. So if you want to double dip, uh, you can do that. But again, just text Hoosier Hysteria to 46862. You'll be in the running. We'll pick a winner at the end of the show. Uh, Text rolling in on uh, (laughs) the Colts. LOL, there would be no downfield threat if Jesus Christ himself was the quarterback. The Colts have horrid skill players at wide receiver and tight end. Yeah, I don't know if I, I don't if know if they're that bad. I would say average, average, yes. And average doesn't get you very far in the NFL. I I agree with the texter that that the Colts need a, a desperately an infusion of talent at the wide receiver spot. So, and this is the thing too is you, you don't want to. So if you look at Marvin Harrison Jr., who is the top wide receiver prospect for the 2024 draft. You're going to have to pick pretty damn high to get Marvin Harrison Jr. Top three. Top three. So if you want Marvin Harrison Jr. for the Indianapolis Colts, you better start losing games. And that's the thing. So where do the Colts go at the wide receiver spot? Do they do they look and see who's going to be out there in the free agency market? I think that's going to be their better play because if you're looking for an instant impact wide receiver coming in from the college ranks, it's Marvin Harrison Jr., and you're already winning too many games to be in contention for that top three pick. They, they would have to lose out. Oh, completely fall apart. And that's simply not going to happen. It's, there's, 
we we talk about how bad they were last year and like it took some monumental collapses to be that bad and yet they still weren't even top three bad and you got to remember Chicago has extra picks now right so they're bad and they'll have the the added benefit of an extra pick so the Colts I, I, I don't know how they get into that top three range again they would have to lose out and that is highly unlikely you know what could happen for the Indianapolis Colts if they could pick seven, eight, nine, that may be high enough, probably will be high enough, to get Brock Bowers. And that would be huge. Yeah. Because if you look at Brock Bowers and the type of player he is and the expectation that he can be a George Kittle, Travis Kelsey type player, it would be tremendous for the Indianapolis Colts. I know a lot of, of people look at the wide receiver spot, but if you could get Brock Bowers... That would be huge. And the thing is, the Colts have a million tight ends, but... None of them are none of serious them, downfield I mean, threats in the past. You have Jelani Woods, who had a bunch of touchdowns last year, but he's still on IR this year. So, I mean, that's really the only guy you feel like could develop into something. Kylan Granson's okay, but he's not your, your tight end one, right? So that's part of the issue is he's having to play a more prominent role, and he's not a tight end one for the Colts. Several texts rolling in. Uh, wide receiver for Washington is a better fit for what Colts need than Marvin Harrison Jr. Uh, yeah, what is his name? Um, I just watched him. Rome. Rome Adunza. Yeah. Adunzi. Yes. Also, C.K. Ballard never uses free agency. I mean, he uses it, but I mean, here's the thing. When you make splashy signings in free agency, you're spending a lot of money and when it's a very often high-risk and I don't want to say high reward because maybe the name makes you think it's a high, but it's always guys on the tail end, right? So it's not. Uh, not always. I mean, the thing is, usually with the cap, it is. Well, with the cap, I mean, you're looking at T. Higgins because T. Higgins is a perfect example. Still the prime of his career. The, the Bengals aren't going to be able to pay him mm-hmm. because they're going to have to pay Jamar Chase and they had to pay Joe Burrow, right? So T. Higgins could be a dude that if he hits the free agent market, would be a guy that the Colts say, yes, in the prime of his career, they have to go after. So it's not always guys that are on the back end. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, if Calvin Ridley has continues to have a bounce back season, do you look at him? I mean, Mike Evans, that's a guy that's on the tail end of his career, but somebody you can pick up. So I think T. Higgins would be that guy if you're looking at the wide receiver free agent market potentially for 2024. If T. Higgins hits the market, that's the dude that you'd go after if you're the Colts. 46862. Again, keep the text rolling on the text line at 46862. <laughs> yes, here we go. Just tune in. What was that Ohio State score? Yeah, 41 to 7. Thank right? you. I was hoping somebody would call you out for it. <laughs> keep them coming. I yes. will accept all he, the hate, by the way. It is deserved. Yes, it although we deserved. also have to give Caleb credit for calling the Notre Dame game. Yes, so on Friday, and really all last week, so Notre Dame was, what, a two-and-a-half to three-point favorite. It, the line shifted a little throughout the week, and I thought, hmm, interesting. And then you based on what based on what USC had done throughout the season where they never really looked good defensively. In fact, it went from question marks in the first couple games to, wow, this defense is terrible, and then you have the offense spotting, you know, just really not putting teams away. And, and USC as a whole 
was just letting teams get back into games or they spotted that 17 nothing lead against Arizona at home uh, the previous week before uh, Saturday night in, in South Bend. They were dropping the rankings. All the signs were there that USC w- was it was a matter of time before they lost and probably lost handily based on how they were playing. Now, I did not see USC getting completely blown off the field like they did because I don't think anyone would have would have predicted Caleb Williams would have thrown three picks and and some of those picks were bad, right? I mean, let's not I think all of them were bad. It, it, let's let's try to make ourselves. something out of nothing. He, yeah, he was. This is what happens when you get a guy who improvises and it doesn't go well. And when it goes well, you look like Pat Mahomes. When it doesn't go well, you saw what happened with Caleb Williams on Saturday night. Uh, I also said that Notre Dame has a really good defense, that they their offense have played elite defenses. USC isn't that now. Did Notre Dame's offense look great? No. But did they finish drives when they had to after turnovers? Yes. Because USC's defense can't, can't stop anything. So USC is soft. Uh, I think that's clear. You look at their schedule coming up. Um, it's it's going to be bad. Like you, you look at who they have to play down the stretch. I mean, the Cal game is the only def- definite yes. win right now. Yes. I mean, I, I think people were throwing out, you know, eight and four. And I'm like, yeah, if, if they can win these shootout games. But at some point, you can't even win those. And this was the second worst loss for Lincoln, Lincoln Riley as a head coach. Other than that college football playoff semifinal, what was that, 2019 against LSU? Um, Lincoln Riley teams don't play defense. And I am so excited for USC to have to come to the Big Ten and to play road games in November. (laughs) Can't wait. Absolutely cannot wait. We'll see if the Big Ten defenses can slow down uh, USC for sure. This was a, a, a lesson in defensive efficiency for Notre Dame. This game was won by Al Golden and the execution of the defense. It was a masterclass. I mean, the the game plan was perfect, and it was executed perfectly. It was consistently getting to Caleb Williams and forcing him out of the pocket, but under relentless pressure. Even when he scrambled to the outside, there was help. And... I know Xavier Watts benefited with a couple touchdown or a couple interceptions and the fumble for a touchdown, but he was the beneficiary of some absolute phenomenal penetration consistently from that defensive front, from blitzes coming a different way, delayed blitzes, uh, every which way coming from outside, inside. Al Golden deserved the game ball on on Saturday. Because he was the mas- the mastermind behind what was a very very good game plan that looked that made Caleb Williams look the worst he has in the better part of two seasons. I mean, th- this is by far the worst game I think I've seen Caleb Williams play while he's been at USC. I get that he played a handful of games at Oklahoma, uh, but this was just phenomenal by what they did defensively. Xavier Watts, as you, you mentioned, outstanding performance. I also want to give credit to Notre Dame special teams uh, because anytime we've talked about the the kicking struggles, a field goal um, with Spencer Schrader throughout the year, he's got a big leg, but he's he's inconsistent as far as accuracy. He he looked good, and of course the Jadarian Price touchdown kickoff return. I mean Notre Dame doesn't get many of those, but that's the second one they've had in just a couple seasons going back to. 
2021. So you have young talent uh, that's making plays on special teams. That's a good sign for your program. No, it is. And this game, I, I know you said during the break, it, you felt it was over at halftime. I wasn't that yet because you have a reigning Heisman Trophy winner on the other, on the other side of the field. And when USC cut it to 24-13 late in the third, and Notre Dame had done nothing in the third quarter offensively, I said, well, if that continues, if USC can get another stop and get the ball back, if they could score, it's a real real barn burner going down the stretch. But credit to the offense and Sam Hartman on that ensuing drive. It was three straight runs by Aldrick Estime that resulted in a first down. Then a pass to Mitchell Evans for another first down. And then on second and 10, the deep pass down the seam to Chris Tyree for the touchdown. And that's when it was over. That's when it went 31-13. You said, okay, Notre Dame's going to win this game. So when Notre Dame had to execute offensively, both in the first half getting off to that quick start and also late in that third, when USC had seemingly got some momentum and Notre Dame was not doing anything offensively, they put together a drive that effectively sealed it, and you went to your two dogs. You went to Audric Estime, and you went to Sam Hartman. And Chris Tyree didn't drop the ball. Yeah, unlike, <laughs> la- unlike the previous week. So that was, to me, the key drive, particularly in that second half, that said, this is Notre Dame's game to win. Because I texted you and said, at 24-13, I'm going to put a couple dollars on the, on, on the Trojans because they seem to have momentum. And I did. And I thought if USC could get a stop and get the ball back to Caleb Williams, then they had a shot to score again and make it close. But USC did not get the stop, <laughs> as they accustomedly don't. And when it counted, Notre Dame got the score, and USC couldn't play defense. A couple of texts uh, rolling in at 46862. USC is not going to be soft forever. Uh, here's the thing, though. That is the identity of Lincoln Riley teams. And, and outscoring opponents and having bad defense worked when he was in the Big 12 for the most part. It works in the Pac 12. That does not work in the Big 10. Um, then, then also the texture goes and say playing the Big 10 is going to op- open up big time recruiting opportunities. You get these Midwest kids on campus, and it's between Ann Arbor and Southern Cal in November, and it's a wrap. LOL. Uh, you know, one would think that, but there are a lot of people who don't want to play that far away, right? It also depends on NIL opportunities. So it's not like I, I get that you think, oh, USC and UCLA especially are going to come in and just recruit away all these Midwest kids. They might get some, but I don't think it's going to be as much as you'd think. I don't think it's going to be this huge shift because here's the thing. If you're getting recruited by Michigan, you're probably already at least potentially on the radar for like a USC. Or if you're recruited by Ohio State, you're on the radar for USC. So uh, USC has no problem recruiting. Okay, Get, Going into the Big Ten isn't yeah. all of a sudden broadening the recruiting base for USC. It's already a national recruiting program. The, the issue USC has is getting a defensive identity, which, and I get it, it's early in Lincoln Riley's tenure. I mean, this is year two, but it's clear they have a problem at defense, and I don't think that's just going to be fixed, you know, before the start of next season. Yeah. Like it's going to take several cycles of recruiting talent, and, and Lincoln Riley's got to do a better job with his staff of recruiting better defensive players. 
I mean, Bear Alexander, a transfer they got from, what, was it Georgia, right? Great player. Made an impact Saturday night, defensive lineman. But you got to have a handful of those guys, not one or two of those guys. Well, I think you look at, particularly USC fans, are looking at why Alex Grinch still has a job. Yeah, well, they were saying that last year. Well, I mean, last year they were at least opportunistic in terms of being able to force turnovers, turnovers, but they can't get stops. And once Caleb Williams is gone, this isn't the USC of of the early 2000s where it was just Heisman candidate after Heisman candidate at quarterback, okay? So there's a lot of questions on how good or not good this USC team will be once Caleb Williams is gone because this defense doesn't seem to be getting any better. And as much as we focus on, you know, the Matt Liners, Carson Palmers, Reggie Bushes, you know, the offensive players that USC had, you know, back in the early 2000s, the defenses were legit, right? They had elite linebackers seemingly every single year. They had elite guys in the secondary. They had great defensive linemen. I mean, those defenses were tough. And USC just simply does not have that as part of their identity right now. Uh, another text coming in at 46862. Did Notre Dame win that game? Or did USC lose that game? No, Notre Dame won that Notre game. Notre Dame won that game. They I mean, took I know advantage that, of the opportunity. I know that Notre Dame haters will always look for a way, well, their, their, their schedule isn't that good, blah, blah, blah. Notre Dame won that game. Al Golden won that game. What Notre Dame was able to do defensively to confuse Caleb Williams and make him uncomfortable, he was a dude that was, that was looking to make things out of nothing and do too much, and that's why he threw through pit, three picks. Notre Dame's defense won that game for the Irish and Al Golden, a master class in game planning and identifying what his team's strengths were, because make no mistake, this is not a dominant defensive front by Notre Dame. No, it can play dominant at times. We saw it play dominant, but it doesn't have first, second round picks up there. Okay. These are all average dudes that are trying to emerge. There's a couple guys up there that are really starting to emerge and could be long-term big-time guys up front. But this is we're not talking about a line like, like a Georgia or an Alabama that, are, that, that has surefire first-rounders up there, okay? Especially in the edge. But they played like it on Friday night, and Notre Dame 100% unequivocally won that football game on Friday, on Saturday night. 46862, your text line number 46862. Meanwhile, uh, on the other side... Purdue and IU dismantled by two of the Big Ten's best. Both these games left me with more questions than answers as far as the the game plan and the strategy. We'll get into that on the other side. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Don't forget you can text Hoosier Hysteria to 46862. Be in the running for a four-pack of tickets. See IU and Rutgers Saturday afternoon at Memorial Stadium down in Bloomington. Homecoming weekend. So uh, just text Hoosier Hysteria because Hoosier Hysteria also taking place uh, on, what, Friday night. So you can double up and be a part of both That may be the bigger draw for the weekend. Perhaps. Well, homecoming week, I mean, it's it's always a a draw for, for both. Maybe there's an IU grad that wouldn't mind going down there and seeing the game. Yeah, Hoosier Hysteria this Friday. Doors open at 6.30, begins at 7.30. There's a concert, I forgot about this, concert by Gucci Mane. Oh, really? Yeah, the rapper. Yeah. So free admission, and then you can stay in Bloomington and then go to uh, 
i.e. Rutgers, if you're our winner. Homecoming game. How about that? That's that's the positive. Yeah, so let's let's get to the negatives here because it was all pretty much negative for Purdue. IU, there's at least one glimmer of hope. So for, for Purdue, they couldn't stop Ohio State. It was a bad day weather-wise, kind of rainy, breezy, not good conditions. Purdue couldn't take advantage of opportunities. They, they get in scoring position. They missed three field goals. Uh, the biggest thing that stuck out to me, they were kicking a field goal down 27 nothing in the fourth. <laughs> Why? Why are you kicking a field goal? Like, it, it, like that, is, that is a losing mentality there. I just, I, I hey, couldn't believe. Anyway. Yeah, he missed it. It was a tough day for Julio Macias, who's uh, from the area. It was not a good day for him kicking the ball. But that was just a, a real, like, what are we doing here? There's there's no point in, in trying to make it look better. Like, I never understand coaches who play so they don't get shut out. Like, because usually what you're doing is kicking some garbage short field goal that you make, and I'm I'm glad Purdue at least got a touchdown <laughs> to make it somewhat yeah. more presentable. But man, there's nothing more than I hate than garbage field goals. When you look at this season between Purdue and Indiana, which one has been more disappointing? Because we kind of expected this from Indiana, right? Yes. Did we expect this from Purdue? Not, not not this, right? I mean, I expected Purdue could be a team that could get to a bowl game. I don't know if that's still on the table. I mean, you you look at the schedule and what they have left. Is it still technically possible? They have to win four. They're not winning four of these games. I I agree. At Nebraska, at Michigan, those are two losses. I mean, mean, at Nebraska is the one game you feel like is a chance, but I don't think they're beating Nebraska on the road. Not right now. Not the way this Purdue team's playing. So so we knew IU was going to be bad, but this is not... Nobody, when you looked at Ryan Walters taking over, said, oh yeah, they're going to go two and five through their first seven games. Like Purdue has to win four out of five, and as you said, they'd have to win that at Nebraska game coming off the bye the end of October as both Purdue and Notre Dame have byes this, this coming weekend. Which Purdue needs, the, I mean, they are admittedly banged up. Yes, but and they've had some season-ending injuries, but the real issue I have is just the lack of aggression late when you're already getting blown out. Hudson Card has certainly not been the player we thought he could be. I mean, he, he wasn't a turnover machine for once against Ohio State. That was the, the positive. But he has not been the guy I think we all thought he would be. And I think that's probably why Purdue is disappointed. I mean, Devin Mockaby had a good game. Ran for over 100 yards. Uh, but Hudson Card has not been the playmaker he's been a, a, that Purdue needed him to be. And also, he's he's been more of a, a turnover-prone quarterback. So there's a lot to be disappointed about, but I think the biggest thing is I just think Purdue is, is underwhelmed because Hudson Card has not been been the guy I, I thought he'd be. Look, that's why I thought they'd go to a bowl game because I thought Hudson Card would be a really good quarterback and could continue to, to have a guy who is not, you know, a Jeff Brom kind of system experienced quarterback, but a guy who is really talented, transferred from Texas, is a threat to run, can throw the ball. It played well in spots for the Longhorns when Quinn Ewers was hurt last year, including in the Alabama game. He has been a disappointment. And defensively, Purdue's been a disappointment, and that was made worse by the fact that they had so many injuries, especially a a freshman starting in the secondary on Saturday. IU at least got off to a decent start against Michigan, and I thought Michigan, first of all, Michigan just came out bored. I mean, 
admittedly, they're playing IU, and I know there's 100,000 people there, but you're playing Indiana. Fall down 7-0. IU had the ball up 7-0. No, Michigan scored on their ensuing possession. Here's what the big sequence of plays was. After Michigan had scored their second touchdown, you said, all right, IU's got to score here to stay in this game. And the second play of the drive, when Brendan Soresby hit Donovan McCulley down the sideline for 37 yards, and you're then inside the Michigan 40. So you've got a big play to move into Michigan territory and maybe regain some of the momentum if you can score. But Zach Carpenter gets called on the face mask, hands to the face effectively, up front. So there's no play. Instead, IU gets moved back to the 11, and then they end up having to punt. And then on the ensuing play, our first play of the the Michigan drive, the unnecessary roughness by Marcus Burris Jr., was just stupid. And then Michigan goes ahead and scores on that drive. They're up 21-0. Game over. But somebody has to explain to me why all of a sudden Indiana is going to rotating quarterbacks now with Taven Jackson and Brendan Sorsby. Not that Taven Jackson was overly good on Saturday. But once again, just the non-committal to quarterbacks. Well, in... in Who's causing this? Because it didn't feel like it was Walt Bell before. It certainly doesn't feel like it's Rod carrying out. Like, why is Tom Allen and some of the players have made this this thought that when you rotate quarterbacks like this, that's terrible for a quarterback's confidence. Donovan McCauley says it's just difficult for a quarterback to get into a routine with so much rotation at the position. Yeah. In fact, he said he the, the players didn't know who would lead each drive until the pre-drive huddle. That's a problem. That's a significant problem because the message that your quarterback is giving has to be a consistent message. And they're two completely different quarterbacks as well. So when you look at that and you're looking to be led by a quarterback and every drive, every other drive, you have somebody else out there, it could be difficult. And it just seems like Tom Allen is trying everything humanly possible to find something, but isn't displaying any type of consistency to try to build anything. But let's be real. Like, like Indiana stinks regardless. But yes. at least throw Taven Jackson out there and allow him to learn. If he's your guy going forward, you have to allow him to struggle and work his way out of those struggles. And Tom Allen didn't do that. It was Taven Jackson made a couple mistakes, so he yanked him and put Brendan Soresby in. And then he went back to Taven. It made no sense. And the worst part is it was pre-planned before the game. Taven Jackson got series one and two, and then Brendan Sorsby was always going to get series number three. And think about this. I I don't get it. Think about this. You get rid of Walt Bell. You have an off week, okay? You have two weeks, effectively, to straighten things out and get on a a good path, and that's the game plan you come up with? That you're just going to split time with your quarterbacks? Instead of over the course of two weeks, just hammering, hammering, hammering. Taven Jackson's getting every first, first team rep and just trying to build continuity and consistency with your QB one. Instead, that's the game plan you come up with out of a buy. Terrible. How much longer do we have to deal with this? At season. least if, if you're an IU or Purdue fan, Purdue, um, obviously a lot of hype going into the, the upcoming season. They're now number one in Kin Pom, the Kin Pomeroy uh, basketball. Oh, rankings. Hey, how about that? So they have that to look forward to. And IU of course has, you know, the, the big five-star recruit uh, committing to the Hoosiers yesterday and Liam McNeely. So there's there are other things to look forward to because football season has been a disaster up 
to this point. Ryan but, Walters at least gets a pass yes. because it's year one. Correct. Okay? If he's two and five in year two, then you start worrying if you're a Purdue fan. IU has no excuse. Tom Allen's gone. IU's going to find the money. Don't worry. It's a disaster in Bloomington. He's gone by the end of the season. Let's hope so. Or at least after December 1 when that uh, buyout yeah. goes down significantly. Uh, actually, I don't think it does this year. I think it's next year. Oh, is it 2024? Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. He's gone regardless. I, I hope so. But that is that is the one thing that you kind of have to wonder. Yeah, he's not back. He's not back. IU finds the money. Uh, meanwhile, a player who may not be back for this season, Anthony Richardson of the Colts. Surgery being considered on the shoulder. What does this mean now for his timeline and what the Colts do in the future? What does it mean for this season? We'll get to that on the other side here on Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Hour number two, Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kenny with you. 46862 is how you reach us today on the show. No stream. So no note, which means no app, no smart speaker, you know, no streaming for the website on your computer or laptop or even your phone. It's just the old school radio yep, today. Just folks. the radio and the text line. So we, we are able to access the text line. So you can text us at four, six, eight, six, two. Don't forget. You can text Hoosier hysteria to four, six, eight, six, two be in the running for a four pack of tickets. See IU and Rutgers Saturday afternoon at Memorial stadium in Bloomington. Was that a noon kickoff? Um, you know? You know, I the ticket said two o'clock, which I, yeah, n- noon. It is noon. Okay. okay, maybe I just saw the the two and not the yeah. I saw the two and not the one. So they have a high noon covered. kickoff. So you can head down there Saturday morning. You could head down there Friday. Check out Hoosier Hysteria on Friday night. Then stay overnight. See the game Saturday. Up to you. But text Hoosier Hysteria to be in the running for four tickets to Indiana and Rutgers on Saturday. Uh, someone texting that I have a coworker whose son plays on Rutgers football team. So there you go. Hey, how about that? There was, um, so like I went to New York City uh, back in the spring and when we were like descending, you know, down into, and I think we landed at uh, LaGuardia. That's the one by City Field, I believe. And, yeah. uh, but as we were descending, like I was looking over and I could tell like, okay, it's New Jersey. But before all that, I we definitely flew over Piscataway because I saw Rutgers football stadium ah, and got a picture nice. of it from the air. I think I sent it to you. <laughs> now, I imagine that texter must work with DJ Allen's. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, father or mother, whatever it is. Uh, the sophomore from Leo. That's right. Rutgers. That is, that is yeah. true. And he's what? Defensive line? Yeah, line, defensive line. Linebacker? Yep. Defensive line. I think sometimes they put him on the edge, but yeah. Defensive lineman, DJ Allen. Uh, someone else texting in about IU. Uh, the quarterback carousel is just a scapegoat for their coaching ineptitude. Yeah, here's the thing. as you And I think you brought this up. They had the bye week to figure out the quarterback situation. And then they're still doing this rotation after the bye week. Going into, you know, you had Ohio State to start the year. That's fine, you know, to try to figure it out then. But this is, yeah. year, this is year seven in your... What six seven games into it? That that's the that's what you came up with in the bye week. Is we're just going to rotate quarterbacks? <laughs> it's basically year what seven you're game six. You're still rotating quarterbacks. So your new OC comes in and that's his brilliant game plan. Rod Carey is we're just going to rotate quarterbacks. I don't believe that was his game plan. 
I'm, you don't I'm, think so? No. You think that's Tom Allen's brilliant yes. idea? I refuse to believe that we're gonna. It's gonna be the ultimate uh, because Michigan's just not gonna have the ability to scout both, and they're gonna be confused. <laughs> and also, guarantee you that's what Tom Allen's like. We're just gonna keep them on their toes. They won't know what quarterbacks going in each series, each drive. It's gonna be great. Well, unfortunately, it just leads to an absolute cluster on your offense. Yeah. Which is that? That's been a good word that's to describe the, the season. The brilliant idea you came up with during the bye week. Meanwhile, the Colts, uh, without Anthony Richardson, we knew they'd be without him a while. But news came out yesterday morning that season-ending surgery is being considered on his shoulder. That from Ian Rappaport. If that is true, this would push back the, the timeline on Richardson. Basically, another full year. Minshew would play the Colts out, barring injury. The good news is his right shoulder uh, ligament is not torn, so that's a positive. But this just means another offseason recovery. Uh, I get shutting him down. Surgery, though, anytime you're surgery, that's cause for concern. But this has been a kind of a lingering problem. He had the same issue in high school. Didn't really show up in college, to my knowledge. But if you're the Colts, this kind of changes this team Minshew clearly has his limitations and with teams able to scout him and prepare for him every week as opposed to him coming off the bench like it was the case early in the season. I mean, that changes how teams will defend the Colts. And honestly, when you have no downfield passing game, um, it's going to be a lot harder to run the ball as a, as a threat, even though the Colts have two more than capable running backs now. With Jonathan Taylor healthy and back on the field along with Zach Moss. Does this mean, though, that you should try to pump the... Like, is there a point where you play Sam Ellinger? Yeah. I mean, I maybe. I don't think you intentionally... Unless Gardner is just absolutely terrible. Yeah, but or, he, or but, he's hurt, obviously. Yeah. The, the decision for Anthony Richardson, and, and it's supposed to come today, and, and this is from Jay Glazer of, of Fox Sports, says uh, the decision will come on Monday, and it sounds like... Th- where it's headed is the decision to undergo season ending shoulder surgery for Anthony Richardson. And basically the concern for the Indianapolis Colts is balancing the short-term health of Anthony Richardson with his long-term prospects. So do you rush him back to try to get him out there and get valuable snaps, valuable game experience with the possibility that he could injure the shoulder again more seriously or do you just shut him down now have the surgery rehab be ready to go well in advance of OTAs and camp and all that stuff and allow him to learn from the sidelines and go forward that's the decision that the Indianapolis Colts have to make and Anthony Richardson has to make and it sounds like the decision is going to be to shut him down here's the thing with the throwing shoulder at play you don't mess around with the throwing shoulder okay like off shoulder, um, anything else, an ankle, whatever. Like this is your throwing shoulder. Like if you screw up your throwing shoulder, you're 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 done. You're screwed. And the problem now is for the Indianapolis Colts is they took a quarterback that was going to need a lot of reps and is not getting those reps. And for all intents and purposes, this is a, going to be a lost season for the Indianapolis Colts in the sense that. They are no closer to finding a franchise quarterback 
heading into 2024 than they were 2023. If Anthony Richardson is done for this season, because you don't know, we have not seen enough of Anthony Richardson to say yes or no. He can be a franchise quarterback in this league. So while you're finding out other things about Indianapolis in terms of, yes, they need more weaponry offensively. Yes, they're deficient on the back end of the defense in terms of experience. When you look at the most important position on the field, they are no closer to solving that heading into next year if Anthony Richardson is done. Here, here's my thing. You at least saw flashes this year that Anthony Richardson could be the guy. He didn't look completely inept running the offense. He didn't look unprepared. Like this was not Zach Wilson levels of bad, you know. I don't know. Zach year. Wilson's been pretty good the last couple yeah. of years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't want to say pretty good. He's been serviceable. Like he's he's getting better. And a lot of that is playing time. The game slows down the more you, more reps you get, right? But the game has not really ever looked too fast for Richardson in the season. Yeah. He had his moments in the preseason, and rightfully so. But it's not looked like he's been completely out of his depth. And that was the biggest thing for me to see. And he's checked that box. The problem now, as you mentioned, is just the lack of reps. And you need more reps, whether it's practice or game and staying healthy. I'm not ready to, to go the bust route no, no, because no. he's quote unquote injury prone. I mean, we're talking one season. Again, you can go back and look at other players who had injuries their rookie year. You can go back and look at other sports and people who were labeled as injury prone. And they turned out okay. I think I mentioned on the show the other day, Steph Curry was injury prone early in his career. He turned out okay. Right. So I don't think you need to jump to that conclusion just yet. Now, if this continues again next year, maybe I could be convinced. Um, so I, I think there's a, a spot here where the Colts... <sighs> I don't want to say you bought another year because you really didn't because that means it's really just one less year of Richardson and Taylor together. And that's the part that that's the biggest bummer in all of this. It is. And I guess when you look at, at what the prospects are for the Colts going forward is maybe they can put a run together where they have seven or eight wins. I think eight wins is, is possible. But anything more than that right now is uh, is is out of expectations. I mean, uh, Ian Rappaport saying that the report that the MRI results showed that there was no tear in Anthony Richardson's labrum and that the ligaments look better than expected. Even so, surgery is still he- being heavily considered and probable. When you look at overall in what the five games that Anthony Richardson was active in, it has limited him to play just 50% of those snaps of those five games. He showed a lot of promise. I think he showed the aptitude to run the position in terms of decision-making. Yeah, the command of the offense. Yes. Uh, But there's always a but. You're not having that full season now to where you're going into 2024 as still evaluating the quarterback position. And that's a difficult thing. Because now next year you're going once again... We got to figure out if Anthony Richardson's the guy or not. The hope was if you did commit to playing him this season, which you did, you'd hope to see him. I guess, and with you and I and our philosophy was him just sitting and watching. This is maybe the best thing for Anthony Richardson's development. He sits, he rehabs, he recovers, he watches, he learns. He comes out in 2024 ready to perform. 
Several texts rolling in at 46862. Every week that Richardson is out uh, is another week that Colts fans can wish they would have traded up and drafted C.J. Stroud. I'm not even close to there yet. No, I don't think so. Like, here's the thing. You can't evaluate. Like, you got to give a quarterback three to four years to really. And you should know by year three, for example, Justin Fields and the Bears, like who, who a guy is. Uh, someone else saying, didn't Wilson is in Zach Wilson company just beat the undefeated Bengals with Wilson having zero turnovers? They didn't have any turnovers, but here's here's the thing. It's not like he was the reason why they won the game. Well, it was the reason why they didn't lose it. Yeah, and I and think that's, that's a the most step important forward. Thing. <laughs> that's an important thing for Zach Wilson. <laughs> um, he has played better the last couple weeks. I still don't think Zach Wilson is the guy to lead no. the, the, the Jets into the playoffs and have a deep playoff run, but at the same time, uh, he is playing better. CJ Stroud, yeah, he's been really, really good through the first six weeks of the season. But it's only six weeks. Defenses are going to adjust and he's going to have a challenge. For sure. But has he looked better than Bryce Young so far? Absolutely. Yeah, but we but, all expected that. Yes. But the thing with CJ Stroud is that people continue to look past is he's a more finished product than Anthony Richardson. Where did he go to college? Ohio State. When's the last quarterback long term that turned out from Ohio State? I'm just saying that. So maybe CJ Stroud does work, but how many times have we said Ohio State quarterbacks they just flame out in the NFL? Justin Fields well on his way to flaming out in the NFL. CJ Stroud off to a hot start. But the track record for Ohio State quarterbacks isn't the best. So I'm going to wait more than six weeks to proclaim C.J. Stroud as the guy coming out of this draft as the quarterback that's going to be have the best professional career. Uh, Jets fan. Thank you. Jets deserve some love, including Wilson, Fort Wayne Jets fan. <laughs> How about that? The Jets getting some Like I said at the start of the show, there was somebody out there that made the parlay that the Jets were going to win and the... Uh, Browns were going to win yesterday and the Giants were going to beat the, the Buffalo Bills last night. And you came oh so close to hitting on what would have been a very lucrative parlay. Coming up on the other side, Marcus Freeman quieted the critics with the win over USC and also matched Brian Kelly. We'll explain that next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Your chance to win today on the show. You can text Hoosier Hyster- text yes, text Hoosier Hysteria to 46862. Again, Hoosier Hysteria to 46862. We're giving away a four-pack of tickets to IU and Rutgers down in Bloomington this Saturday afternoon at Memorial Stadium. So IU football, which happens to coincide with homecoming weekend, which also means Hoosier Hysteria Friday night at Assembly Hall. Doors open at 6.30. Uh, the event starts at 7.30. That event's free, but you can also make a weekend of it and go to the football game as well. Again, just text Hoosier Hysteria to 46862. We'll pick a winner at the end of the show. So Notre Dame with their big win over USC on Saturday night. 48-20 to 20 was the second worst loss for Lincoln Riley as a head coach just saying something because they got destroyed by LSU in a college football playoff game. So to even come close to that is impressive. Marcus Freeman now two and three against top 10 ranked teams as a Notre Dame head coach. 
Obviously, the win last year over Clemson, the win this year over USC, who was ranked 10th at the time. A couple losses, Oklahoma State, and then Ohio State twice. Oklahoma State was his first game as coach. So, I mean, I don't think anyone's really holding that against him. But what he did Saturday, and this is mind-blowing to me, but Marcus Freeman already has as many top 10 wins at Notre Dame Stadium in a season and a half as Brian Kelly had in 12 years as the Notre Dame head coach. Two? Two. Clemson and then USC. Yes. Okay. For Freeman. Uh, overall, Brian Kelly was 4-11 and against opponents ranked in the top 10 at the time of the game. So only two at home. Mm-hmm. Here's my thing with Marcus Freeman is that's great, okay? But if he had lost against USC, then we're talking about is Marcus Freeman the guy at Notre Dame? Yeah. So we can't let one game dictate, not that you're saying this, one game dictate between is Marcus Freeman the guy at Notre Dame and Marcus Freeman is the equivalent to Brian Kelly in terms of beating good teams, as, as mediocre as that was. Here's my thing with Freeman and what he's done so far. Anytime it feels like people, and again, very short tenure, but anytime it feels like the pitchforks are ready to come out, he's responded. The Clemson win last year was a response, right? Uh, after the, the Stanford debacle. Uh, this year, the USC win, a response after the Louisville road loss, which here's the thing. Winning road games in college football is hard. Winning road games when you're Notre Dame and it's the other team's Super Bowl every time is really hard, especially against a Louisville team. The program's clearly on the rise with Jeff Brom going back to Louisville. They've had a good season. Yes, they lost against Pitt on Saturday. This this is what happens in college football, right? I mean, when you have 18 to to 23-year-old kids playing, this is what happens. It happens in the NFL. We saw it yesterday. Yeah. So I, I'm not really concerned about that. But to me, Freeman, six wins over ranked opponents. He's six and four against the AP top 25. These are positive things. And I, I get that people will point to, well, it's the almost, you know, like against Ohio State. And you can even point to the almost winning a, a major bowl game in his first game as, as coach uh, when they let Oklahoma State come back and then and then win that one. I get that. I understand that argument. But to me, you're seeing progress. You're seeing a track record so far that is at or above what Brian Kelly could do. In terms of playing top teams, I think Marcus Freeman has no problem, no issue getting his teams prepared to play the big games. What Marcus Freeman needs to work on is making sure his team is as locked in when they play lesser opponents. Now, we saw it last year. And, and make no mistake, Notre Dame is a better football team than Louisville. Notre Dame should not have lost at Louisville. Louisville went out yes on Saturday and just got absolutely punked. Yeah, Pitt destroyed way, him. By Pitt, yes. So while Marcus Freeman, I think, is hitting all the right buttons when they're playing Clemson and Ohio State and USC, he needs to make sure that he's doing the very same thing and his team is as prepared to play Marshall and Stanford and Louisville. Because make no mistake, if Notre Dame goes out in two weeks and loses at home to Pitt, then we start having conversations again about Marcus Freeman. Or 
if they lose to Wake Forest or they go to Stanford and lose to end the season. So that's the thing. Marcus Freeman can win the top games for Notre Dame. We've seen that happen. But what he can't afford to do is drop the games they shouldn't. And that's the one thing that Brian Kelly still has over Marcus Freeman so far. Now, did Brian Kelly lose a lot of games he should not have lost early on in his coaching tenure at Notre Dame? Yes, but different program. I mean, Kelly had to build the program back up. He did that. He succeeded year three, had him play for a national championship. Marcus Freeman inherited a a top 10 program and has got them hovering around that level. I mean, they're, they're top 15, top 20. It's just a matter of finishing it off. And this year they have an opportunity to finish it off, to, to go 10 and two and get to, you know, a major bowl game again. And that would be an improvement from last year. Yeah. Four losses. So Notre Dame is on schedule. You look at the remainder of their schedule, two bye weeks, four games left that they should win every game outside of maybe that Clemson game. That's still a toss up for me. It is still very difficult to go to Clemson. I don't care what the record is. They only have two losses. So does Notre Dame. So people saying that, oh, Clemson's down. Well, I mean, and Clemson's two losses are two, two elite teams. Really good teams. I mean, they lost to Duke, and they lost to Florida State. There's no shame in either of those losses. What, combines one loss between those two teams? Uh, Duke yeah. has one. Yeah. It's Notre Dame. So that's still, t- to me, the game you look at and say, eh, I don't know if Notre Dame's winning that game at Death Valley. But the other three, those should be easy games. And if you, even, even if you finish 9-3, and three, that's a better regular season than last year, pending the bowl game. And may, maybe that's the next step, as you see, say Notre Dame gets to a major bowl game, actually winning a major bowl game, and I get a lot of that depends on who plays, who sits out, that that sort of thing. That's always the question mark. But eventually you got to start winning those matchups. And, and here's the thing, winning on Saturday night against your rival and hosting a lot of top recruits, I mean, that's big. That's helpful. Uh, Marcus Freeman's done a good job with recruiting for Notre Dame. Has he done as good of a job as people thought when he came into the job? No, but I also think people just thought he would go out and be able to pick and choose whatever top talent he wanted, and that's still not the case in Notre Dame. I mean, between admission standards and the fact that you can't just transfer there with ease, like there's still some things to be worked out to be able to, to recruit at a top level. He continues to show himself as good enough to win a lot of games at Notre Dame. But winning a lot of games at Notre Dame isn't good enough. You have to make college football playoffs. And with the expanded playoffs next year, it makes that easier, of course. But the goal for Notre Dame still remains to consistently be a playoff contender. They haven't been in the first two years under Marcus Freeman with multiple losses in the regular season. That's the next step. But you also can ill afford to lose to Pitt or Wake Forest or Stanford the rest of the way because then again, it opens that door to Marcus Freeman can compete and win the big games, but he can't beat the teams that the Irish should consistently enough, like Brian Kelly was doing in the latter half of his tenure. 46862, the text line number 46862. Uh, someone's saying, I, I hate ND, find it hilarious you guys are sucking off Freeman. You know, hope only hope this guy has the success his predecessor had. Man, I just, uh, Marcus Freeman hater. Now, the texter prefaces it by saying I hate Notre Dame. So yeah. the, immediately to me, I can't put any stock yeah, into yeah. it. Because you're always looking for the negative for Notre Dame. Notre Dame just beat a top 10 team by 28 points. 
and made the reigning Heisman Trophy winner look bad. Very bad. Okay, this isn't like, uh, okay, Caleb Williams is overhyped. The dude won the Heisman Trophy last year, okay? And Notre Dame effectively neutered him on Saturday night. Yeah, people were like, ah, did, did, did USC really lose that? Or, or Notre Dame really <laughs> win that game or did USC lose it? Or, oh, Marcus Freeman's terrible. Like, did you, did you watch? Did you watch the game? <laughs> did you I see mean, how bad he looked? Is it, it because is Notre Dame game plan for him is to perfection? O- it is okay to be a Notre Dame hater, yet still give them one ounce of credit. Okay? But some people just are incapable of doing that. Oh, and here, here's the other thing. Marcus Freeman's a likable dude. Even people who don't like Notre Dame. Yeah, okay. Like Marcus Freeman. Like Marcus Freeman. <laughs> I can see not liking Brian Gibbs. Yeah. Like, what has Mar- Marcus Freeman done? For anybody to not like him. Besides being the head coach at Notre Dame. Right. I mean, besides that. Like, personable dude, family guy. I mean, I read a story a couple weeks back about how he goes and supports other athletic programs mm-hmm. at Notre Dame. Yeah. Women's basketball. Brian Kelly didn't do that. No. He didn't waste time going to women's basketball and all those all that stuff. He is engaged at Notre Dame. He uh, he 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 props up the entire athletics department. I mean, coaches have said, yeah, he he gives us his number and and you're like, yeah, whatever. But if they have a question, text him. He'll respond. Call her. Like, what has Marcus Freeman done for anybody to not like the dude? It's astounding to me. Other than, like you said, being the head coach at Notre Dame. Also another text. Notre Dame uh, is the Dallas Cowboys of college football. No need to explain. Well, Dallas uh, has a big issue. I mean, Notre Dame's had more success in, in their sport. When's the last time Dallas got to the Dallas. national championship game? The equivalent being the Super Bowl, right? Yeah, I, I think think that explains itself. I understand there are Notre Dame haters. I get that. I understand that, and that's fine. That's fine, but you can't marginalize what they've done and what they continue to do. Yeah, they're not Georgia or Ohio State, but they're a top ten program of the last decade. They're the tier underneath that, and that's hard. That's incredibly difficult for people to 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 really accept. I mean, if Notre Dame went out and won a national championship next year, people would still say, oh, they've only won one national championship since 1988. They're not good. <laughs> the, the, the Notre Dame haters will always find a way. And I, and to, to, I admire, a certain part of me admires that, that you hate a program so much that you will just find any way to bash them. Even, even after, if it's illogical. Even if it's illogical. Even after a 28-point win on Saturday night, where they absolutely owned the reigning Heisman Trophy winner. 46862 is how you reach us on the text line again. 46862 coming up on the other side. Back here in Fort Wayne. Champions were crowned Friday night, but not all the champions that we would have expected. We'll explain what happened there next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Don't forget, you can text Hoosier Hysteria to 46862. Again, Hoosier Hysteria to 46862 and be in the running for a four-pack of tickets. The IU and Rutgers Saturday afternoon at Memorial Coliseum in Bloomington. Homecoming weekend down on the IU campus. Hoosier Hysteria, of course, on Friday night. That is a free event, so if you want to go Friday Stay overnight, then go to the Big Ten football game for homecoming on Saturday. This would be your chance. Again, just text Hoosier Hysteria to 46862, and you'll be in the running. We'll pick a winner at the end of the show this morning. And plenty of other opportunities to win throughout the week as well. We're giving away IU Rutgers tickets all week? Uh, yes, except for oh. Friday. 
Wow. Okay. Because they do have to be picked up in studio or uh, yeah, not in studio, but you know, in the building. So gotcha at our offices. So that'll nice. give the, the Thursday winner some additional time. But How yeah, that all we can, we'll have more IU football tickets uh, as the season goes along. So stay tuned for your opportunity. Hopefully, to win. hopefully they at least are decent enough to want to go see. Yeah. I mean, right Rutgers now, is a good team, so we yeah, shall go see, see DJ Allen and Leo. That's right. Uh, meanwhile, speaking of uh, area football player back here on Friday night, so the SAC, we thought we'd have a tri-champion. Lures lost to Homestead, so they finished with one loss. Carroll had one loss. Snyder had one loss. But only Lures and Snyder are SAC champions, and it all comes down to some technicalities in the bylaws after some recent changes going into the season. Justin, make it make sense. <laughs> so effectively, this is what happened Friday night, is I left the Homestead-Lures game thinking that we had a three-way tie because that is what's been discussed for weeks of what could happen. Mm -hmm. And then I get home and I get a message from Carol that's saying, we're not sure if we're co-champs or not. Stand by. I'm like, okay. (laughs) So apparently the rule is the ties are broken in the division first and then cross-division ties. Are broken. So Snyder and Carroll were tied. Snyder beat Carroll, mm-hmm. which effectively broke that tie. So Snyder wins the quote unquote A division. Lures wins the B division. You cannot break the tie between Snyder and Lures because they didn't play. So they shared. So Carroll does not get a share. My big issue with this is I have two points of this. One big issue is communication. Where are where is the representation letting everyone know exactly how this is working. It's fine to let the ADs and coaches know, which for, which for the record, even at Carroll, the AD and the head coach were confused on what it worked. They each had different opinions. So communication is not good, even within the schools of what's going on, let alone the media. Okay. So that needs to be solved, but I'm not going to be here and saying that they, that Lewis didn't deserve to win a share, blah, blah, blah. What I do have an issue with, is if we're going to treat these divisions as fair, as equal divisions, then why are they top heavy? Why are arguably the top four programs in the SAC, Snyder, Homestead, Carroll, DeWanger, in the same division? Because they went large school, small school. But then it, it, then it shouldn't have equal weight with A and B. I, I'm sorry, it shouldn't be. Okay. Oh, I, I don't disagree. I'm just saying that's the route they went. Now, I get it. But Dwanger is in the are, wrong division then. If we're doing big or small, Dwanger's mm-hmm. 4A. Northside's 5A, so shouldn't they be flipped? Yeah. So it's not strictly big school, small school. Is if you want to make if you want to make the divisions mean the same, then make them even in terms of the teams. And what I would consider, and, and this is you take a 10-year sample size of overall record from the last 10 years. And you split it. You go one to ten. These are the overall records of these teams the last ten years. And you go odds in one and evens in the other. I think that's the easiest way to do it. And then in every four years, five years, you do the same thing and redraw it. But I apparently that's too simple. So well, it, and the the other thing is this is not the first time they've had some confusion. 
this season. No, it's been a, it's been a it's year been season year. full of confusion <laughs> with this. Okay, where's the communication? Where are where is a press release sent out to every single media entity in town saying this is how our league works? Because they didn't know at the start of the season. And that's the thing. And I know there's and talking to coaches over the weekend. There's these bylaws out here, and some coaches knew exactly what was going. The point is, not everybody knew. I reach out to one of the the more respected coaches in the area in week four and ask him, how's this work? He has no idea. That's a problem. That's a problem. Okay. That's a problem. And when you're supposed to be one of the more prestigious leagues, not just in the area, but the entire state, it's a joke when it's Friday night of the final regular season night of the year and nobody for sure knows how exactly a champion is crowned in your league. Like, come on. Like that, that, that is fundamental, like rudimentary, figure it out stuff. And they just were, it felt like they were winging it as the season went on with how stuff would work. And we'd, you'd get different answers right. week to week yeah. on how it worked. And, no one knew. And you ask coaches, and I'm not really sure. And another co- AD was like, I think it works this way. And blah, blah, blah. And I'm reaching out to the people that are supposed to know this stuff, and they don't. Or they have a misinterpretation of how it works. Communication. We're both married. What's the most important thing? Communication. Communication. Right? Communication. And the SAC failed in its communication this year. And as part of the problem, there's no one person in charge, and they don't, you know, have like well, they a have structure. A, no, they have an SAC president. Oh, okay. They have it a a someone representative of the sport of football, okay, and they're admins in Fort Wayne Community Schools, but. Part of that, too, is they have 8 million job duties. I mean, they're trying to run a school, trying to run an athletics yeah. department. I get it. But at the same time, like, it's a, it's a collective failure. I'm not calling out one or two. It's a collective failure. But come on. Friday night of week nine, and you still have confusion of who's tied for your, for your champion. Like, come on. It's, make, it's, a, it's, a, it's a Mickey Mouse show. And you need to make sure that the people know. And the first time that somebody knows what the rule is, and they see in the media that they're wrong... Why aren't you reaching out and say, hey, this is actually how it works? Because I had a couple people do that to me this year, and how they explained it was wrong. <laughs> so not only was I wrong, the people that thought they were right were also wrong. It's just absolute cluster. It's next level bad. All that to say, sectional play starts this Friday. East Noble at New Haven is our 1380 The Fan game of the week kickoff at 7 o'clock in that one. Coming up on the other side, we'll wrap things up. Final chance to enter for IU Rutgers tickets. Again, just text Hoosier Hysteria to 46862. You can see IU and Rutgers down in Bloomington on Saturday afternoon. Noon kickoff at Memorial Stadium. Final story we'll get to next. Some thieves raided a Chick-fil-A, but for an interesting item. We'll explain. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Final time here on a Monday, Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM, 46862, the text line number. You can text Hoosier Hysteria for a shot at IU Rutgers tickets for this Saturday. You can win a four-pack homecoming weekend in Bloomington. Again, just text Hoosier Hysteria. You want to win tickets to the IU Rutgers football game coming up this Saturday. Text coming in also, uh, CK, why? Does the SAC have divisions? Schedules are unbalanced now, or the SAC could do like soccer and promote and relegate each season. I I I don't know why they have divisions. 
I think they didn't have them before. No, but they also added non-conference. Yeah. So they think, okay, with ne- less non-conference or with, with less conference games, then you play only the teams in your division. I, I get what they were going for. It just, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me. I, I, I don't know why that you have two divisions that are uneven in terms of power. This wouldn't happen if you split up Snyder and Carroll. If you split up Homestead and Dwanger, uh, if you split up Northside and Lures, I think those those four teams or those six, you could say by and large are the top six. Then you put Wayne and Concordia on either side. Then you have Northrop and South. Like split them up evenly. I don't understand if you're going to have divisions, split them up evenly because you 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 stack one division and then you give equal um, equal parts relevancy to both divisions. I'm not I'm not saying Bishop Lewis shouldn't have won the SAC a piece of it. It's just following the rules. It just it's just weird. It's convoluted. Hopefully changes are made. But at the very least, whatever the format, communicate what the hell is going on. Yeah. Communication is key, right? Yes. So it just, uh, it, we're talking sports here and also marriage encounter this morning. Communication <laughs> is key. Uh meanwhile in Georgia, so our final story of the day some thieves stole some items from an Athens, Georgia Chick-fil-A. Hundreds of gallons of cooking oil. Cooking oil? Yes. This is apparently more common than you think, uh, what uh, a news story says, Fox 5 Atlanta. Um, Why? Because apparently that can be sold. This is not the first time the store has been targeted. Uh, This time it happened around 3 a.m. October 5th restaurant on Atlanta Highway but apparently they rented a U-Haul siphoned out several thousand dollars worth of cooking oil and that cooking oil police say can be refined and sold and be used as fuel huh yeah so worth a lot of money just stealing money or stealing uh, copper pipes the old fashioned stuff now people are stealing (laughs) cooking oil they said, large vehicles like U-Hauls shouldn't be around restaurants in the early morning hours. Yeah, you think? <laughs> Thanks. <Duly laughs> it's a little noted. fishy. <laughs> uh, but that wraps it up for us today. Thanks for all the texts. Uh, for Justin Kinney, I'm Caleb Hatch. Dan Patrick Show. Coming up next, The Herd with Colin Coward at noon. Indiana Sports Meet with Jim Coyle from 3 to 4. And The Sports Rush with Brett Rump from 4 to 6. Your opportunity to win foreigner tickets starting today and all week long on the Sports Rush. Thanks for joining us here on Caleb and Kenny in the Morning on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM.